Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to a truly historic issue 48 of the Bugle for the week beginning Monday, the 13th of October, 2008. With me, Andy Zaltzman, here in a studio in London, next door to the studio being used by the radio station Planet Rock. So, (laughs) if you hear some rock coming in the background, it's from Planet Rock. And in New York City, it's John Oliver. Hello, Buglers. Hello, Andy. I'm back. I'm back in New York. We've got Paul the Engineer back. I feel this is the Bugle at maximum capacity. <laughs> I, I met Robert De Niro this Does week, he? Andy. <laughs> he, he was a guest on the show, and uh, uh, he walked past me after uh, I'd done my bit and uh, said, Hey, that was funny, kid. <laughs> he, he called me kid. I, I felt like a 12-year-old. Oh, thanks very much, Robert De Niro. All right, Mr De Niro, thank you. As he's walking down the corridor, he said to the person he was with, is he really British? <laughs> and all of a sudden it changed. Hey, De Niro, come back here. <laughs> Damn right I'm British. Are you really Italian? Well, I had some nice salami. There um, you go. <laughs> how, how was Yom Kippur, Andy? Sensational, mate. Uh, how, just... how, did, how did your atoning go? Oh, did you atone? Amazing atoning. Oh, really oh, really high-class atoning. Some of the atoning angles that I managed to, to pull off were really quite staggering. I'm, I'm like the Roger Federer of atoning. <laughs> Best Yom Kippur ever. Yeah, we just all gathered around the fire and opened all our presents, and uh, just a lovely family occasion. No, that, hold on, that's not Yom Kippur, Andy. That's not... That's Christmas. Yeah. Bad Jew. <laughs> It is the week beginning Monday, the 13th of October, and that means there are some very significant anniversaries this week. Uh, today, Monday, it means it's 1,954 years since Nero took power in Rome. And we ask, will Italy ever recover? It's looking increasingly <laughs> unlikely. Tuesday means it'll be 942 years since the Normans beat King Harold at the Battle of Hastings, taking advantage of the fact that Harold had had to play a title eliminator against the Vikings a couple of weeks before. And a lot of his key players were ruled out of the Hastings match with serious injuries or death. But William was a top-class conqueror, and in decisive, era-defining battles, it's not winning that's important. It's the taking part. So, well done, Harold and his team. Uh, not, of course, at the press at the time, sorry, that way. He got slaughtered the next day in the press, big Harold, losing at home to the French. I just don't think the English press are ever going to accept that. <laughs> and, of course, on Wednesday... It'll be one year since the Bugle was launched in a blaze of glory visible from the furthest reaches of outer space. Wow. Okay, that's a slightly revisionist view of history. But, (laughs) as they say, history is written by the winners and or by the historians. But it's still one glorious year, and that means we are now officially the longest-running audio newspaper for a visual world in the world. John, they can never take that away from us, unless someone else does a longer-running one. That is an amazing achievement, Andy. The longest ever audio newspaper. That really feels like something. I don't know what it feels like, but it's definitely something. Yeah. I feel a bit like uh, Isaac Newton must have felt when he discovered gravity. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) You did go with a big reference. Oh, is this what it felt like? Well, I just feel like I've got a bit of apple in my hair. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So there will be a special Bugle birthday section (laughs) later in this show. So hang on to your audio hats. It's going to be fun. It's going to be funky. It's going to be fundamentalist. Don't don't say the word funky, Andy. You can't carry that off. <laughs> it sounded like you were saying it with a PH. As always, some sections of the Bugle are going straight in the bin. This week, a special cheese section. 
how to choose the right cheese for you. Cheese to seduce a lover, cheese to intimidate a chess opponent, cheese to befuddle a man-eating predator. We tell you the best cheeses for different social occasions. The divorce, the passing of judicial sentences, and the annual office food fight. Plus, cheeses of the month, including the backside chunksborough, that's a goaty little number in the shape of a buttock, the Bavarian <laughs> Bolschnauziker Flaupkäse, a small but impolite German cheese prepared in a working miniature-scale model replica of a cheese factory designed by Nazi architect Albert Speer on a weekend off. <laughs> the Australian G'day Gouda, that's the Steve Irwin Memorial Crocodile <laughs> Cheese. The blue-veined Funkatronic, I don't think that needs any further description. And the <laughs> outstanding cheese of the month, the very rare Victorian Penshurst, made from milk containing DNA from Queen Victoria, as recovered from a bottle used by the future <laughs> King Edward VII as an infant, then matured for ten years under the cricket pitch at Penshurst in Kent, where Queen Victoria once got hammered in the Leicester Arms to celebrate the end of the Crimean War and ended up standing on the bar billiards table singing the national anthem at three in the morning, wearing a suit of armour, cricket pads and brandishing some antlers. I should say that this cheese is not made with actual milk from Queen Victoria's magic katwangs, but it is, nevertheless, <laughs> magic cheese. <laughs> and that is a mark of the woman. Also in the bin, in honour of our producer Tom's efforts to put up a self-assembly wardrobe, a DIY section in which we give you 12 new swear words to use whilst putting up a self-assembly wardrobe. Here they are. And so do enjoy using them. Top story this week, and how low can you go? (laughs) The McCain campaign has decided to go extremely low this week, wobbling their way under the moral limbo pole (laughs) as their supporters chant along excitedly. And McCain has spent uh, the past week baiting his own crowds like a child running a stick across the cage of a very irritable and ever so slightly racist lion. Twice he referred to Obama as Barack Hussein Obama, choosing to land the emphasis very much on the second of the three words there, to booing and heckling from the crowds. He took Pandora's box of bigotry... And he threw it open. And he may find it hard to get that hateful little genie back into his bottle. But he is trying. Uh, He's just recently started telling crowds that Obama is a decent man, uh, stepping in and correcting them when they call him a Muslim or an Arab or a terrorist, three things they very much regard as the same. And what has the response to this more level-headed argument been? He's been booed, Andy. Booed by his own party base. You can almost see a look in his eyes as he's listened to some of his crowds of, I have created a monster. I think I might hate these people. To misquote J. Robert Oppenheimer, and now I am become douche, destroyer of my reputation. These Muslim suggestions do seem to emanate from Hussein's middle name, but Barack Hussein Obama is no more a Muslim than George Walker Bush is a device to help old people move around independently. I guess the mud has been slung. And apparently some people perceive that it's stuck as well. McCain really has started to look a bit jaded, like an ageing boy band member looking out at the screaming children in his audience thinking, this is not how I wanted things to turn out. (laughs) That is the only time you will hear a McCain boy band analogy. Oh, really? Uh, Crowds have been booing and shouting things like treason, terrorist, and even once, kill him. Now, (laughs) it's not McCain's fault what idiots in his audience shout out, but... If you play with fire, the very least you're going to get is warm fingers. <laughs> and his fingers are getting a little over-toasty at the moment. Well, I guess it was inevitable, John. I mean, there's only 23 days to go to the election, which means that it's 24 days until the start of the 2012 election campaign. 
I guess, John, the campaign descending into mudslinging was always going to happen. It's kind of had the inevitability of a bowl of rice you've ordered being delivered to your table in the well-run Chinese restaurants or the unavoidability of an elephant in a squash court. It was inevitable this campaign would eventually dedicate itself gleefully to the art of mudslinging. I guess Palin's really been... Uh, I mean, it's almost like that, that's what she was plucked for and they pulled her out of her well-deserved obscurity to make McCain look <laughs> even more reassuringly old. That she's basically just been picked for her mudslinging ability. And she really is slinging it, John. I mean, she's really going for sheer volume rather than accuracy or trajectory or quality of mud. But it seems to be working for her in a strange way. Uh, one of the things they've been trying to do is link Obama uh, to William Ayres again. Uh, the Chicago man who used to be part of the radical group Weather Underground in the 60s who planned and carried out bombings in the US. The Democrats have been providing a weak, weak defence here, saying uh, Obama was only eight years old when the bombings were carried out. <laughs> now, to be fair, that is not a great response. The Republicans are not claiming that Obama was an eight-year-old terrorist. <laughs> they're, t- they're just saying that he knew him. And Obama has been undeniably, if understandably, slightly misleading. You, can't, you cannot claim that Obama didn't know who he was. It is the first thing that people must say whenever they introduce anyone to William Ayres. It is the single most interesting thing about him. Well, I think uh, we can expect more revelations over the next uh, week about Obama. Personally, I've heard uh, on the grapevine here in London uh, these following revelations about Obama's shady past. This week we'll hear that he was, in fact, part of the Black Panther group and would have given his own black glove salute at the Mexico Olympics in 1968 had he won a medal in the discus. Uh, unfortunately, he was only seven years old and didn't qualify. Uh, also, uh, Obama apparently spent a lot of his early life in Hawaii, not far from Pearl Harbor. And at some <laughs> point in his childhood, he probably ran around the garden making aeroplane noises. But he never specified whether the plane he was impersonating was American or Japanese. Is that the kind of behaviour you want in a president? No. And also, um, and this is a fact, John, Obama said the word yes on 9-11. Was that an appropriate response? McCain uh, has accused Obama of uh, palling around with terrorists. But if that's true, then Obama has pretty bad taste in terrorists because (laughs) this particular terrorist won the 1997 award for Citizen of the Year in Chicago. I just don't think you can win awards like that and maintain the admiration of the terrorism world. It looks really bad. You're losing your terrorist integrity. You're losing your monster chops. (laughs) You what? You heard... Monster chops, is that not some kind of aggressive Victorian facial hair? Palin fans uh, have also been turning on the media. Uh, she, she started blaming the questions for some of her recent <laughs> interviews. And the crowd started hurling abuse at the assembled press and waving thunder sticks at them. <laughs> and it's, it's got so bad that the press now uh, are not only being not allowed to interview Palin, they aren't even allowed to interview her supporters <laughs> for fear of what the supporters might say. What a high opinion the GOP have of their own base. And I have a particularly vested interest in this, Andy, as I'm supposed to be going to a Palin rally next week (laughs) to film a piece about this, and it does seem that there's an increasing chance that I won't be making it out alive. (laughs) So this may, in fact, be my final bugle. Uh, If you want to replace John on the bugle, then do email us your CV. (laughs) We might not be able to hear from uh, Palin supporters via the US media, but one person we can hear from is Bridget Bardo. Uh, the ex-screen siren, animal rights fan, four-time wife and star of Menina, the girl in the bikini. Now, Bardo <laughs> has branded Palin a disgrace to women. <laughs> now, Bardo, she's aged triple fourteen, double sixteen, or 74 in metric years. 
And of course, she has slipped down the chart of great women over the years due to being convicted five times for inciting racial hatred. So if you're being accused of being a disgrace to women by a woman who is a disgrace to humanity, then you are probably a disgrace to women. Frank Keating, uh, a McCain uh, campaign co-chairman, also danced close to racism uh, with some of his comments this week. In fact, he was pretty much ballroom dancing with bigotry, <laughs> cheek to cheek, before dipping it and going in for the smackaroo. Uh, he described Obama as a guy of the street and referred to his drug use as a young man, saying he should admit that he took cocaine. Uh, although, awkwardly, he did actually admit this uh, in a book 12 years ago. But... He should probably admit it again. It is only fair. Anyone can admit something in print once. Well, admissions do wear off after nine years as well, officially, legally. That's a lie, but it could be a fact. Global economic catastrophe news now, and great news. Everything's going to be fine. The British government has bailed out some of the British economy, just like America did the week before. 50 billion quid of uh, public money is going to save the banks. And, John, you might not really approve of the world economy melting down, but I think, in many ways, it's great news for economics, because it's got it on the front pages rather than buried in the middle of the newspaper. And all the kids at playgrounds around Britain now are going around wanting to be Alistair Darling during break, and they do their <laughs> economics games. They're growing up dreaming of being fund managers, and I think this is great news. You're right. You're, Hank Paulson is the new Justin Timberlake. <laughs> He's bringing economics back. If money does indeed make the world go round, then it seems it can also make the world stop going round <laughs> and freeze in a blind panic. <laughs> this week has seen... Uh, more opposite of good news happen across the global financial markets. Uh, the Dow is continuing to look like a bungee jumper who has forgotten his cord. <laughs> and it was, it was said in the past that when the US sneezes, the whole world gets a cold. Well, what seems to have happened here is that the US has thrown up all over <laughs> itself and now the rest of the planet is involuntarily projectile vomiting in response. The, the G7 group are meeting in the US over the weekend uh, to come up with a plan to prevent the world from sliding into recession. Uh, either that or they're sitting behind closed doors whispering, we are f into each other's ears. And there is a suggestion that the world takes on Britain's plan to guarantee lending between banks. A British plan, Andy. We are saving the world again, <laughs> either saving it or destroying it. The point is, at least we're making the decisions. We're back. <laughs> this is it. This could be the return of the British Empire. It sure feels like it. Should I go outside and start ordering Americans around? <laughs> I think you should yeah. try ordering them around at the Sarah Palin rally next week, just to see what happens. Yes. Oh, boy. Please don't remind me of that, Andy. Okay, let, let me just have this day. <laughs> Uh, following talks uh, with the economic leaders, Mr Bush said, we must ensure the actions of one country do not contradict or undermine the actions of another. In an interconnected world, no nation will gain by driving down the fortunes of another. We are in this together. We will come through it together. Things must be bad, Andy. He is starting <laughs> to sound like a hippie. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't believe any of those things. Also this week, uh, Gordon Brown, uh, who is loving every minute of this economic crisis, he told a joke. And this is believed to be his first career joke, possibly his first lifetime joke. And not only that, John, but he blew the roof off. He was uh, giving a speech and uh, a phone went off and he said, okay. is that another bank going under? And what? the nation laughed as one. That would have been a lot funnier had that not been a distinct possibility. <laughs> 
Well, a, I guess you do have a to time work. and a place for a joke like that, yeah. and it's not when you're leader of a country and that country is staring into a financial abyss. Yeah, he was delivering a speech at the Foreign Office, and a mobile phone went off, and he said, I don't know if another bank has fallen somewhere. And as you say, John, would he have made a similar joke if he'd been talking in the aftermath of a terrorist attack rather than an economic <laughs> collapse? <laughs> Also in Britain, the former Metropolitan Police Commissioner Ian Blair resigned after being told to resign by wacky new Mayor Boris Johnson. And being told that you're bad at your job by Boris Johnson is a real kick in the plums for anyone. That's like being told how to wrestle a pig by Mother Teresa. Uh, Johnson thanked Blair for having the courage and dignity to step down. And bearing in mind that Johnson basically stepped him down, that is a bit like Henry VIII thanking Anne Boleyn for having the decency and grace to stop wearing hats. Environmental heroism news now, and well done to Starbucks, the alleged coffee merchants, who have saved the environment by agreeing to turn off some taps. It transpired uh, that Starbucks had a company policy to leave a tap on in every single one of their shops. Apparently it keeps germs away and stops demons from haunting them. And uh, the Sun newspaper in Britain claimed that this was wasting 23.4 million litres of water a day, which is enough to supply water to Namibia, which is one of Africa's thirstiest countries. And it's quite an odd company policy to have, John. That must have slipped through at the end of a board meeting when everyone wanted to go home. AOB, yep, I think we should leave the taps on in every single one of our shops. Uh, OK, approved. I've got to get home. The snooker's about to start. It's O'Sullivan <laughs> against Ding. It could be fantastic. To run the water all the time, Andy, is supposed to prevent germs developing in the taps. And uh, that's a lovely gesture. And it's going to be great to know that when humanity is dying of thirst, we are at least going to be (laughs) germ-free. A spokesperson for Starbucks said uh, that we recognise the opportunity exists to reduce our water usage once this story (laughs) broke. It's a bit like Communist Russia saying that it saw the death of Stalin as a -a once-in-a-lifetime chance to cut down on purges. And now, the special Bugle birthday section. So welcome to the Bugle first birthday party. You join John and I here live in respectively London and New York, celebrating the Bugle's first birthday. So think back to what you were doing on the 15th of October 2007. Maybe you were celebrating the anniversary of Napoleon beginning exile in Santa Helena in 1815. <laughs> Oh, God. Or even thinking back to 1582 when little Pope Gregory Thirteenth implemented the Gregorian calendar, jumping straight from the 4th of October to the 15th. Maybe you were even lighting a scantily clad candle to mark 90 years since the execution of Marta Hari, who mixed exotic dancing and espionage like few people have managed since, apart from the former MI6 boss Sir Morris Oldfield. And maybe, as you did so, you're wondering if your feelings of barely suppressible lust for a long-dead historical figure were normal in a pre-Hotties from History world. Or maybe, just maybe, you were listening to the first ever Bugle. One year ago today. Here's, just to jog your memories, here is how that first episode of the Bugle began. This is a Times Online podcast. And here is how that historic first episode ended. This is a Times Online podcast. For more podcasts, go to timesonline.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Oh, I can't believe it. Great. It brings back How things have changed. We've we've really moved on, Andy. It's just lovely to hear that again. I can't believe your voice was like that back then. (laughs) How embarrassing.
the bugle is one year old, and Andy, I've made you an audio birthday cake. Um, oh, really? Uh, but, be, but be careful, aim it away from your face. <laughs> With audio fireworks, Andy, don't they sound beautiful? I think that one was a Catherine wheel. You should probably eat the rest of it outside. <laughs> well, thanks very much. I'm really touched. I've actually bought you a uh, birthday present. Oh, uh, great. I'll just... Uh, can I unwrap it now? Yep. Oh, wow! Yeah, it's, a, it's an audio coat of arms. I, th- I think yeah. you needed a bit of heraldry in your life, John, so I've made you an audio coat of arms. Here it is. <laughs> Oh, you know me, Andy. I love pomp. Yeah, well, I thought those things just really kind of encapsulate what you bring to the bugle. Uh, the chainsaw, your ability to cut through stuff. The catapult, your ability to fire stuff at stuff. The elephant, really your ability to uh, remember stuff. And the golf swing, for your ability to slice things into a lake. OK, well, uh, my, my turn, Andy. Un- unwrap this next one from me. OK, thanks. I know how much you like buffalo mozzarella. <laughs> so I've got you a herd of buffalo, Andy. Oh, great. Oh. You can make your own. Right. That's a bit your aw- wife's going to love it. Well, it's a bit awkward, this, uh, John, because that's just what Tom gave me for the Bugle's first birthday. So I've oh. I've got... I've just got two herds of buffalo now. Oh, just... Can you not take one of them back to the savannah? <laughs> okay, Andy, this, this is this is your main present. Right. Open this now. Oh, thanks. Hi! It's Florence Nightingale, Andy. Oh, yeah! Whoa, 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 oh, whoa, yeah. whoa. Hey, okay, whoa, whoa, Andy, I, I, actually, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about this. I think I'm, I'm, I'm taking her back. This was a bad idea. Oh, Florence. So, well, that's, that's, that's what we've given each other for the Bugle's first birthday. And uh, you, uh, loyal Bugle listeners, if you want to share in these festivities, then you can give the Bugle to a friend for the Bugle's birthday. It's the ideal presence in the modern age with the global economic crisis. It's free, it doesn't clutter up the house, and if they don't like it, they can either wrap it up again and give it to their granny for Christmas, or they can go f*** themselves. <laughs> There's a huge party later on, John. A lot of the celebrities who might have listened to the Bugle are going to be there. Uh, Tibet fan Dalai Lama. He could easily be a Bugle fan. Well, he's not going to listen to Metallica, is he? There's the French tennis star Richard Gasquet, who listens to it to help him uh, keep himself calm during tie breaks. The Harvard graduate and diamond advertising actress Elizabeth Shue. Why not, John? She's Elizabeth Shue. She can do what she likes, and that potentially includes listening to the Bugle. And also the LA Angels manager Mike Shosha. A long season in baseball, John, with a lot of travelling, and I believe Mike could easily listen to podcasts sometimes on the road. Well, thank you very much, Buglers, uh, for assisting us uh, in getting to a year. I, mean, I suppose you haven't really done much. <laughs> Other, I mean, you've listened, so that, that's yeah, that's yeah. good. And you've emailed. Actually, your emails have been outstanding. Yeah, so you have actually done quite a lot. Yeah, I you're guess. right. I take it back. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> the problem is, as a comedian, I'm ju- I'm just allergic to sincerity, and I find moments <laughs> like this extremely difficult. Your emails now, and uh, just time for a couple of emails. This one is from uh, Sean Clothier. Clothier. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he says, Dear You've been John in America D- too long, John. 
Dear John D and Oliver, to celebrate the Bugle's first birthday, I suggest you celebrate with the help of an old Bugle friend, yes, that's right, with a Hugo Chavezogram. <laughs> Imagine him twirling, pouting and thrusting to a pumping soundtrack. Who knows? It could be so sexy that in a hundred years, the new Bugle, a replacement for the current Bugle after Andy told a pun so powerful the studio imploded, could vote this special first birthday celebration a hottie from history. I'm just saying, Sean. Well, Sean, uh, I've actually got a surprise extra gift for Andy here. Open the door, Andy. La receta del diablo. Para analizar el discurso de ayer del presidente de los Estados Unidos. Como vocero del imperialismo vino a dar sus recetas. Be honest, Andy. You love it. You love it, don't you? I do love it. It's just, uh, it's just, just a little bit awkward. Little Is he getting in your personal space? Because that was an explicit instruction I gave him. Oh, he's just whispering into my ear about how much he hates America. You are a donkey, Mr. Bush. And this email comes from David W. Harrington in Manhattan. I propose the introduction to replace the audio cryptic crossword of the audio 500-piece jumbo jigsaw puzzle which would carry the Bugle at least into its tenth year of publication and which would be fun for the whole family to play together on one of those lazy, rainy Sundays when Dad is sleeping off a hangover after a night with hookers and Grandma is hallucinating again due to the chemical backup in her colostomy bag. Well, the, the Harrington family get-togethers must have been really something. Little slice of Americana from David there. David continues, I wavered between a Thomas Kincaid painting of a candlelit house in the woods or solid blackboards save for the grey kitten in the middle, but I opted instead for Hieronymus Bosch's Last Judgment for its mortally edifying qualities. Good choice. And he suggests for piece one, hyperventilating nun above the head of a giant green catfish <laughs> shaped like a six-month-old potato. Tune in next week for piece two. David... That is absolutely outstanding. You can't argue with that, Andy. No. So do keep your emails flooding in to thebugle at timesonline.co.uk. Sport now and a massive game for England's football team this week away in Belarus. A rivalry as old as time itself. Because uh, we're recording on Sunday as opposed to the usual Friday, we can tell you that England beat Kazakhstan at Wembley yesterday and they beat them 5-1, John. What an incredible result for the tiny nation of England. Kazakhstan is a nation 20 times as big as England geographically. And their team had 60% more syllables in the surnames of their starting eleven than England's team. Also, Kazakhstan is five hours ahead of England. And also, it's a much younger nation, so you'd have thought it would have had more stamina. Most 17-year-olds would beat a 1,081-year-old. And yet still, England stuffed the bastards 5-1. What a turn-up for the books. And this week, John... We're playing away in Belarus. Our Belarus is, of course, uh, 40% covered in forest, so let's hope they don't chop down our players. Brest is one of the biggest cities in Belarus, but let's hope things don't go tits up. Let's also hope they don't make Minsk meat out of us. Also, uh, over 99% of Belarusians are literate, but let's hope England manager Fabio Capello doesn't have to read the riot act to his players at half-time. The National Academic Theatre of Ballet in Minsk was voted top ballet company in the world in 1996, but let's hope the Belarusian football team doesn't lead us a merry dance. <laughs> Journalists keep disappearing in Belarus. Let's hope the England <laughs> midfield doesn't go missing too at a crucial stage of the game. Yeah. Also, Belarus is the only country in Europe to retain the death penalty. Let's hope the England team... Don't put us to sleep, or get a massive shock, or lose their heads, or choke, or get burnt at the stake. 
Good luck, England. And I think that's over. <laughs> Is it, am I done? I, I think that's done. Can I go yeah, home? I think that's. I think you should go home. <laughs> Minsk meet though. I mean, come on, that was worth it, wasn't it? And finally, uh, just time for the bugle forecast. So, the bugle one-year-old. How many more years will the bugle live, John? What's your prediction? <laughs> I reckon it's going to become powerful, and it's going to. We're going to franchise it out, <laughs> but with no financial return. <laughs> I think the bugle will live uh, for all eternity. And uh, also, I checked this morning, actually, with Almighty Zeus, who sent me oh, yeah. a signal when I sacrificed my morning bull. And according to the way the entrail splattered on my sofa, uh, Zeus reckons there will be at least another 120 years of bugling. Oh, that's great. So, that's pretty great. optimistic. Just, Zeus. Just, just up to the contracts department to sort it out. Yeah. So, thank you for listening. Do keep your emails coming in, thebugle at timesonline.co.uk. Visit the webpage, timesonline.co.uk, slash thebugle. And above all, stay in school. And keep off drugs. Yeah, good point, Andy. Yeah. Um, it's sad that it's taken you a year to say that. <laughs> Even if you've already left school, go back to school. Whatever age you are, Bugle listeners, go back to school and stay in it. The real world is not worth leaving school for. <laughs> Thanks for a great year, Buglers. Here's to the next decade. Bye. Bye. Bye.